everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. What's up, guys? Hello, Hi, everyone. everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much to the People's Forum for hosting us. Uh, thank you to... Yeah, give them a... Yeah. Woo, we love the People's Forum. Yeah. Best space in New York. Yes. And thank you to Breakthrough News and The Empire Files and The Katie Halper Show for Ooh. co-sponsoring this event. Um, so we're going to get this show started. I'm going to introduce uh, the lovely ladies sitting next to me. To the left, not politically, just physically, we have Abby Martin. <laughs> but also, also politically. No, but like, I'm but not I'm saying she's left. to the left of us. Oh, no, but no, 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 okay. Yeah, no, yeah. Spoiler alert, she's on the left, yeah. Oopsies. So on the left, the ultra left yes. equally. I haven't even had wine yet. I know. <laughs> equally on the left as us is Abby Martin, who is the host and producer of The Empire Files. She's also Ooh. the director of the amazing documentary, Gaza Fights for Freedom. Thank you, Thank you so much. And the forthcoming documentary, Earth's Greatest. Greatest Enemy. Earth's Greatest Enemy. Okay, there you go. There you have it. Which I can't wait to see. And then to my right, physically but not politically, yeah. is uh, Rania Kalik, who is the host of Dispatches. Dispatches with Breakthrough News with Eugene Perrier. And she is a journalist based in Beirut. Woo, yay, Beirut! <laughs> And of course, the great Katie Helper, host of the Katie Helper Show, host of Useful Idiots, and the upcoming documentary, Commie Camp, which I can't wait to see. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks everyone, for braving the snow to come out here in this packed house. We are truly honored to share this space with all of you. So I thought first I wanted to ask um, you, Rania, more than anyone else here, uh, let's, you could, get yeah, let's get serious. Yeah, let's get serious for a second. Like, we're going to be I'm joking ready. around, but we should Bring be serious. It, yeah. So before starting, of course, I need you to condemn Hamas. <laughs> will you, will each and every one of you condemn Hamas? All together. <laughs> we're not going to start condemning Hamas. Yeah, we're, we can't do this show we until can't each start, and every you guys. one of you. Yeah. Everyone has now. to, we have it's to go. Now. Yeah. It's the law. It might take two hours, yeah, but I mean, this is necessary. But we're fine. If that has to be what the entire show is dedicated to, that's okay. All right. Yeah. Condemn the mainstream media. Woo! Okay, great. Yes. Mainstream media. Great answer. By the way, that. someone's phone is going off, which is fine, but it's a good reminder to shut your phones off, please. Yeah. Sorry, that sounded very taskmaster. <laughs> so yeah. we're actually going to uh, talk a little bit, obviously, about Israel. We're going to talk about <laughs> the uh, genocide case that South Africa brought against them to the International Court of Justice. And uh, obviously, not everyone agrees that there is a genocide there. But before we get into that, we're going to have a debate. Genocide or not, it's going to be really, really uh, heated debate. Uh, it's interesting that Israel even claims that there isn't a genocide because uh, Israelis say it so overtly. Like they literally, they say the quiet part out loud. They're actually doing South Africa a favor. They've been doing South Africa a favor and making its case by actually creating 
the genocidal intent, making the genocidal intent, which is required to make the case for genocide, making that so clear. But here is John Kirby of the National Security Boo. Council. Boo. Here he is. He's going to try to convince you that there isn't a genocide. And of course, what I did is I made a little mashup between John Kirby and this montage that Five Pillars Media had made of Israelis making some statements. You can decide for yourself. Uh, this is the same guy genocidal. who was who cried crocodile tears for Ukrainian kids, right? Yeah, yeah. only for Ukrainian kids. Like, uh, only white children. And, no, he's upset about Israeli children and Ukrainian okay, yeah, children. Yeah. But when it comes to Palestinian children, it's a war that happens. It's also, he's like a crisis actor. You can hire him yeah. to cry or not. <laughs> also, Depends he, who the highest bidder is. He also uses filler. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he definitely has cheek filler. Yeah, has I'm cheek convinced. Filler. I live in Lebanon. I know what cheek filler looks yeah, like. Exactly, yeah. so she can bash her. <laughs> That's why we brought her all the way from Lebanon. Lebanon to, 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 to vouch for that, yeah. Yeah. So let's take a look at John Kirby, and then on the other side, because we want to be fair and balanced, let's take a look at what Israelis actually say. Thrown around in a pretty inappropriate way by lots of different folks. Fake Tanner Israel too, huh? is not trying to wipe the Palestinian people off the map. Seems like a sane person. Yeah, that looks like a thug. It's an entire nation out there that is responsible. It's not true. This rhetoric about civilians not aware, not, aware, not involved, it's absolutely not true. Israel's not trying to wipe Gaza off the map. They say it in English, John Kirby. In mazon, in mine, in delik. Akol sago. Nachnu nilchamim b'chayot adam, v'anachnu nuagim b'etim. Azo lo takzor liot mashet. We will eliminate everything. Gaza will become a place where no human being can exist. Invest his energy in one thing, erasing all of Gaza from the face of the earth. That's a Knesset member. The Gaza monsters will fly to the southern fence and try to enter Egyptian territory. They will die. Nuking Gaza is an option. Use doomsday weapons against Gaza. Very healthy society here. Israel's trying to defend itself against a genocidal terrorist threat. So when we're gonna start, if we're gonna start using that word, fine, let's use it appropriately. All right, man. All right. How has yeah. no one thrown a shoe at him yet? I know. I'm, I not, know. A, I'm not advocating an entire, the press pool, an entire wardrobe wow. or armor, yeah. So what do you guys think? Let's vote. Uh, genocide or not genocide? Anyone in the room? Anyone in the room? Genocide? Okay, yeah. All right. Two hands. Well, what's that's, crazy? That's a, yeah, that's a double yeah. vote. What's crazy is there's so many clips. You we would yeah, take literally like yeah. a week to watch them all. But I remember when Netanyahu said they love using telegenically dead kids. The more dead, the better. This was like, in 2018. This right? was yeah during the Great March of Return, and then Naftali Bennett said they're committing self genocide. So at least he admitted it, right? Naftali they're Bennett just doing in it that to themselves. Clip you're talking about also added that in every house, and not just Palestinian like Arab homes. Um, Lebanon and Palestine, they have a kitchen, a bedroom, and a, a rocket room. launching room. <laughs> I didn't get one with my apartment. No one, I didn't get a rocket launching room. I'm kind of a- How can you uh, afford all that space? Like, don't you have a one bedroom? Yeah, no, I have that's, uh, more than one. Oh, okay. But so you I don't have, have a rocket launching. Uh, yeah, but I you might as well invest come in with one. the house. Right. Like, I have to yeah. make it myself. Yeah. yeah. Right. It was, must have been that's uh, bullshit. pre-war. Pre-war <laughs> house, pre yeah. Yeah, pre-October 7th. History began October 7th. Yeah. Well, we, again, want to be fair and balanced, and we let you hear from John Kirby, but then I think we just uh, debunked his claims. 
But someone else thinks that there isn't a genocide right now. And none that Matt man is the he's he's the epitomization of like progressivism. So it's a little awkward, you know, like he's he's really hardcore yeah. progressive. Yeah. So it's like, hmm. And we're talking about none other than should have been Dr. Oz, uh, <laughs> John Fetterman of Pennsylvania. Let's take a look at what he has to say. Great, great crowd. I love it. It's a group of cowards. They hide in tunnels. They hide behind civilians. They attack, kill, and mutilate children, women, and they do that. Stop talking about proportion on that. They shot their best shot on October 7th, and they would have taken more lives if they couldn't do that, but they couldn't do it. And now let's also talk about that. Now we're being talking about genocide. And now South Africa now is now bringing that kind of a, a trial. Maybe South Africa being going to sit this one out when they're talking about criticizing. Okay. He's a horrible public speaker. Is it just me? So we're hearing. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. So <laughs> spoiler, a little teaser. Oopsies. Like, why should he says that as if like the government of South Africa right now just committed a genocide? He's like, a white, he's a white farmer genocide guy. He's one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. white farmers. The white farmer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. South Africa knows what apartheid is. I so they have. Yeah, it's true. I think John Fetterman knows. Yeah, John Fetterman knows what it is because he like because he probably likes it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know who else should sit this one out? Because he was saying that South Africa should sit yeah. this one out. And I was just, it was, it reminded me of how Germany oh, yeah. was like, hey, we're going to intervene legally uh, to help Israel in the genocide case. Well, they are genocide experts, so yeah, I'm torn. Because I feel like they're actually really experienced when it comes to that. So. Also, it is all their fault. Like, yeah, that's true. I think Germany should have to carve out like a piece of land for a Jewish state. Yeah, me too. Like from, Ger- like they should have to, yeah. I mean, they, they started Can we have it, Berlin right? though? Like, I've heard Berlin's really cool. I've heard Berlin's really cool. Yeah. It's supposed to be very cool. Unless a lot of Israelis, they moved to Berlin. Oh, it is true, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A yeah. lot of Israelis moved to Berlin. Yeah. But no, seriously, the audacity of Germany, seriously. it's disgusting. This is all like the original sin you created. And what I loved so much is then Namibia. Namibia was like, excuse me? You're going to what? And they were like, the presidency in Namibia released a statement. And they were like, we don't think Germany should be allowed to speak on this, considering they've never apologized for the genocide they committed right. in Namibia, which was like the OG German exactly. genocide. Right. They don't get enough credit for that genocide. No, they don't. You know? Germany, like, Germany loves genocide. Like, we should expect nothing less because they've historically and consistently, well, West Germany. We should say West yeah. Germany if, like, we have our East Germans here at all, yeah. and they're, like, upset. <laughs> safe space. This is a safe space for East yeah, Germans. Yeah, safe space for East Germans. But, no, they've, like, historically always been on the side of genocide, so I guess we should expect nothing yeah. else. Yeah, they only want to atone for the white genocide, right? Yeah. Right. And yeah. It, it has been. It's erasure of the Namibia mm-hmm. genocide because yeah. the Jewish genocide has taken up the spotlight. So it's time to highlight the other one. Yeah. 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 Fair and balanced, yeah. again, as we But, said. honestly, yeah. how disgusting is John Fetterman? Yeah, bringing it back to the important thing. No, that's true. Yeah. If I see one more goddamn comment from that monster about hostage posters, I wish I had volunteered for Doctor Oz. Seriously, (laughs) makes me wish I had. He's a stroke survivor, isn't he? Yeah. 
No, 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 no. I'm just saying. When he first, everybody liked him because they were like, oh, he's a stroke survivor. Right, right. And he's like the working class and he's like so progressive. And I was like, like, yeah, he sounds cool. And then he was like, I love genocide. And I was like, never mind. But he's also like a Nepo baby. He's like a rich kid. Like he like, he was like basically just became mayor or something randomly, like with no experience. And he tries to overcompensate by wearing sloppy clothes. By wearing just basketball shorts. Yeah, I thought, I thought because of he's like, so he's basically like cosplaying. Yeah. As a yeah, working yeah, yeah, class. Yeah, totally. Okay. I guess, yeah. But you know, it reminds me of did you guys see that movie Everyone Says I Love You by problematic Woody Allen? Oh God. So there's this there's this subplot no. in it where <laughs> like there's a Democratic, like Upper East Side Democrat family, and they have a son who's a Republican and they're really ashamed. And then at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, they find out he had a brain tumor. And that explains why he's a Republican. <laughs> Does it involve Woody Allen fucking like a? No, I mean maybe in the background, but I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. When you mentioned the stroke, it's an autobiography thing. of Woody Allen. Is that what you're saying? I mean, Sorry. Basically, all wet dream for him. All but no, no. I, and in all, like in all seriousness, though, I, and in real, like legit seriousness, like Israel is committing a horrific genocide against that. Well, it's an ongoing one, but they've really scaled up the genocide against Palestinians, and I think there's a lot of like background behind that. Um, that Abby knows something about. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, look, like, it is a very historic case. This is actually an amazing thing to finally, after all of these decades, 75 years of oppression, ethnic cleansing, occupation, bombing with impunity, finally, Israel is being here, Israel's crimes are being heard in international court, and that is amazing. That's amazing. Regardless of the outcome. And this is, regardless of the outcome, and I think the case is so clear-cut it's, it's, un, you know, there's no way to question the evidence put forward. And so really it's just going to be the legitimacy of the court at this point. That's why Israel's only defense is to be like a horrific narcissistic, like collective narcissism where they're just like gaslighting everyone. They're like, we are killing all Palestinians because we hate them, but also we're protecting civilians. Mm. And you're just like, what? It's- well, yeah. They're, and, and they're like trying to use um, their entire case, right? At the ICJ was saying how much the Palestinians wanted to kill them, which that's not a legal defense. You can't use genocide as a self-defense which is kind of what they're implying yeah, yeah. and even trying if, to suggest, even, even if, if that were the truth, which it's not. Even if all the lies Israel has told in the last almost four months now, even if every single lie was true, and when I say lie, I mean like babies. all caps, like 40 beheaded babies, all of the disgusting racist claims they've made about like the disgusting Browns came just to rape all our white women, which is like a historically racist smear against anyone brown and black to just call them all rapists of white women. And we should all like emphasize that that's a racist claim to make if you don't have any evidence. On top of that, like everything, all the lies, the fact that they blame Hamas for killing everyone when it's like their own media says that they bomb their own people. Even if every horrific claim they've made about what they say Hamas did on October 7th, even if all of it were true, nothing justifies genocide. Nothing justifies killing babies. Like yeah. 10,000 babies. Right. Nothing justifies that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I asked someone this today. I was like, how many babies is acceptable for you? Because she kept saying, but, what Hamas, but October 7th, but Hamas, but they killed these people, but they killed those people. And it's like, what, what is the threshold for you? Is there ever enough Palestinian how many dead babies? Kids. Like, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable that people think that they're going to convince anyone that what Israel's doing is okay because of something that happened on October 7th. And I just think that 
you know, it's just very easy to say for me, at least like there's literally nothing you could tell me about October 7th, nothing that I could find out about October 7th. Right. That would justify what Israel's doing. Right. Especially that our article that came out in 972 MAG about Israel's assassination factory, how like Israeli intelligence officers admitted on record that we know every person in every right. building. We know if there's a three-year-old girl right. and we calculate that and we methodically go through and take out these targets. And so everything is justified and rationalized. They know every kid who's being blown to bits. You know, I, okay. So like having grown up in this country as the child of, of Middle Eastern immigrants, like in this in, country, in, in this country, in, in the America, in the United States of America, I'm so sorry to Americans who aren't U.S. I, that I just said that. I know someone's rolling their eyes at me right now. In the U.S., having grown up here as a child of immigrants who were Middle e- who are Middle Eastern, and having like grown up during 9/11, and having experienced the racism from that, like I I understand this country as a racist country, obviously, but I still am shocked by just how virulently bloodthirsty the people who run this country are when it comes to Palestinians, when it comes to Arabs, they don't care. Like I'm watching, we're all watching people carrying the limbs of their children that they've had to dig from under the rubble. And you see people have lost their homes and their families. They're living without shelter without bathrooms their women are getting c-sections without anesthesia and their babies oh my god the i'm sorry there's been so many phases of this genocide there was the phase where they were just like starving premature babies israel was enthusiastically letting three premature babies die and the people who run this country were like yeah that seems fair they're not here. Like that's essentially the message that I've received. I'm sure all of you have received is that people in the global South are not human. And Gaza is, is the embodiment of that at this moment. It is like a version of what the West wants for the global South is like annihilation. Like if you fight back, we will kill all of you because you are not human. That's what I see yeah. right now. And this it's like this ridiculous false dichotomy or not false dichotomy, but this ridiculous premise of like, what else is Israel supposed to do? Don't they have the right to defend themselves? It's like, how on earth can you pretend what they're doing now is self-defense? How is targeting journalists self-defense? How is targeting babies, like you just mentioned, Abby, self-defense? Or people having amputations without anesthesia? None of this is self-defense. It's like you said, bloodlust, and it's because... There is such a dehumanization of Palestinians in particular, Arabs in general, but especially Palestinians. And it's, um, I mean, it's just the response from the United States is like, don't worry, guys, we're having tough talks. We're having hard conversations. That's really how they're responding. That's what John Kirby says. That's what Jake Sullivan says. And then if you ask if they're committing genocide, they say that they don't want to play judge and juror. I mean, yeah, Gaza's always been like a testing ground and it's so disturbing to just see it as far as they'll take it, just being greenlit. And it's like, everyone's just watching this unfold and the U S is facilitating it all. Um, and I think that we should talk about like what happened before October 7th, because nothing started (laughs) in the context of, you know, Abby has a fantastic documentary that if you have not seen it, it's available online for free. Gaza fights for freedom. And you collaborated on that with a bunch of really great. Yeah, because I was Gaza. banned from getting in because you know they always say like, oh, Jews can't enter Gaza. It's like, well, you're not letting them. Like, you just you selectively decide who can be 
a, a yes man journalist to go in and, and tow your narrative as we're seeing with CNN and all the censorship bureau that like, you know, you have to like vet everything through the IDF before you can reveal anything. Um, and so when I was there in 2016, I, I had all the proper credentials and paperwork. And they were just like, no, like you're a propagandist, you're banned for life from getting in. And so we worked with photojournalists and incredible heroic journalists who risked their lives running away from bullets at the Great March of Return during those months from 2018 to 2019, where over 200 Palestinians were assassinated by Israeli snipers. At that time, I thought that that was the most egregious thing Israel has ever done. And so we wanted to compile that story because the Western media was so egregiously, uh, so one-sided, so disgusting, basically saying people were dying of head wounds without saying they were being targeted and shot by snipers, children, disabled people, medics, journalists, of course, uh, Razan al-Najjar. Um, but you know, and it was all wrapped around international law. Like, and you think if people just saw this, if they just saw what, what Israel is really about, like it's, it's like target practice for them. I mean, they release video. There's a scene in the movie where Israeli soldiers actually released in an internal Facebook group, them picking off kids and, and laughing about it and celebrating. And people always ask like, Oh my God, how did you get that footage? It's like, they released that themselves because they celebrate that internally and it got leaked. Um, but all the people involved in the film are, you know, they've all been rendered homeless. Their homes have been completely destroyed. They have no future at all. Maz Maza, the incredible heroic videographer who filmed most of the material, he lost two brothers, not lost. They were murdered. Let's call it what it is. And you know, they're living in tents, they're living under rubble, and every day is a gift because they think they could just die at any moment. And it's, it, how do you even check in at this point? You know, and there's Ahmed Amu Artema, who was the incredible lead organizer of the Great March. His house was targeted because Israel's using this war to just execute all of their political dissidents, all the political dissidents who they've been basically taking names of. Um, and so they bombed Ahmed's home and he, his 10 year old son was murdered alongside five of his family members. And he's sitting in a hospital with second degree burns. So it, it's so real because everyone has a story. It's not just the people that I know. It's every single person in Gaza has lost almost everything because there's no rebuilding this. You can't rebuild that. Like what are, we've just let this happen. Like not we, but I mean the West has facilitated oh, yeah, this and, and let this happen. Let it's disgusting. Empowered it. Facilitated it. Yeah, facilitated it, yeah. Coordinated it. But I, I know I've been talking forever, but I wanted to really quickly, like back in 2014 during Operation Protective Edge, another Orwellian, like dystopian name for just slaughtering Palestinians. I'll never forget, I was working at Russia Today and uh, I, I did Get this out. rant. Get out. Sorry, you have to leave. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm a Russian. Sorry, agent. wow, out. <laughs> Do you condemn Putin? <laughs> so I remember I did this video. It became viral in the Middle East because it was an indictment on Western journalism for not doing their jobs and not documenting Israeli war crimes at the time. So it became viral in Palestine. And right after that happened, Israeli forces bombed the Al-Sharok journalist tower and an RT cameraman's leg was blown off. And so our boss at RT was like, issued a stern letter to authorities being like, did you know that you did this? And like, what are you going to do? And they were just like, RT has taken a side in the coverage. Of course, we knew there were journalists in the building. So disgusting. And so I think that was like my first insight. Like, oh, this is, 
this is like a special kind of impunity and a special kind of brazenness that not even the United States would do because it cares too much about its image, but its appendage, Israel can and will do anything that it wants as long as the U.S. And there's nothing that's like too much for the U.S. to tolerate and enable. Israel will murder babies on film and like laugh maniacally about it. Uh, like their soldiers will. Their soldiers will release footage on TikTok showing you how much they enjoy killing Palestinian babies. And then the Israelis will say we're the victims. It's it's completely batshit. Like, I don't even know what you do with that. It's Well, Abby, you actually had a special... Oh, by the way, is there any way we get some white wine up here? Sorry. I can't do red wine. It'll stain. And I'm going to need some Prosecco. Yeah, I don't care what kind. Can I speak to the manager? Yeah. Um, no, just give me a headache. So, Karen, um, Karen, pipe down. But, um, uh, but no, we really white no. wine would be fantastic if we have it. Abby, you... Um, oh, no, seriously, we need wine. Yeah, we seriously, need wine. I'll take this vodka. Is a joke. I'll take vodka, too. You um, were in Israel, and you documented some of this genocidal rhetoric. Uh, we have a video of that. Can we take a look at that? Yeah, this is a fun one. Really? There's only one way, to, like, I would carpet bomb them. You would that, carpet bomb them? It's the, only, it's the only way you could deal with it. Like, or, or try to stop them a different way. It, it never worked. You mean all Arabs or Gaza or... I, I believe that they... Like, I hope to believe they're, they're not, but I do think they're they saying all Arabs. Carpet bomb all Arabs. I never... I don't, I don't trust them. You can't trust that. And that's the only way I believe that. The only the only way is just to stop it completely. I think that uh, we miserable uh, the Arabs uh, make a big game and uh, we need to kill the uh, Arabs. <laughs> oh, so funny. Okay. We'll talk about this video. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, there is also uh, a Jewish civilian, uh, civilians that ate Arabs. Yeah, I'm not saying, but we have also people that like the Arabs and everything, like uh, Smolanim. I think another thing uh, that the Jews should have rights to hate them. I think we have the right to hate them. I don't, I don't see a reason why not. I, I wouldn't trust any of them. I like how the other guy was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no. And he was like, no, no, no. Also, we have the Abby, right to hate all of them, and we should carpet bomb them all. You weren't like doing gotchas. You right. were just walking yeah. in the street, like you. And those, those. There was, by the way, you should go watch the whole video. It's like that's not the only. It's like dozens yeah. of people. Well, yeah, it's crazy. Everyone's always like, "You wanted to make Israelis look bad." It was like I genuinely didn't know what I was getting into at all. I had no idea that I was like in Nazi Germany um, until you just start talking. It was like the most basic question, like, "How do you feel about the situation?" kill them all, carpet bomb them all. You're like, oh my God, what is happening here? I mean, it pre-October 7th. I mean, this was just the nor- every day in Israeli society. And you go back to the Great March of Return when they picked off people one by one for doing nothing but peacefully protesting. And 95% of Israelis supported the shoot to kill if you just venture too close to that artificial border fence in Gaza. You know how many Israelis want a ceasefire right now, according to a poll? Like, I think from the last couple months, so I don't know. Point zero one. 2%? 3%. Yeah, wow, you guys underestimated. But to tell me, like, who who are you supposed to make peace with? Peace with. 
when only 3% of people are, and it's probably like 3% that they accidentally asked an Arab because like 20% of the population right. is Palestinians. They forgot to ethnically cleanse. Yeah, the Arabs there. They were like, oops, we left these villages here. But the, the only reason that that became so viral is because you never see Israelis speaking for themselves. I mean, they were speaking knowing that they were on camera. That's what's right. so bizarre. Right, about this it. wasn't like a hidden camera. No, this was, this was like, okay, what are you guys saying off camera? This right. is like yeah. what you're this proudly is their, saying like, on camera. like politically correct version. And it's like all these Western journalists that just go and they're based in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and they just reprint press releases from the military. It's like, do they not talk to people or do they all just like laugh about this? No, they cover them? it up because like Isabel Kirshner at the New York Times, her kid is in the IDF. Yeah. Sorry, the Israeli army. I can't even call it the IDF. Yeah. IOF. The IOF. The I, no, but seriously, her son is like an Israeli soldier and she is like their correspondent. That is such yeah. a conflict of interest. Could you imagine if the Beirut bureau chief for the New York Times had like a family member in Hezbollah? The only way that would be allowed is if they were like a self-hating Shia. Right. And anyone who, like you, like that's the only way that would even be allowed. And even then, even then, it's always a white person anyways. But the, and it's not just her. It's like Mondo Weiss is constantly covering that. So a lot of them have an interest in covering it up. And they do. Another thing that is so infuriating is the insistence that um, Palestinians use, like it's so unfortunate. We don't want to kill them, but unfortunately they use human shields. Meanwhile, there's like a recent video of Israelis using a human shield. No one ever talks about that. And human rights organizations have documented Israel using human shields. They haven't documented Hamas using human There's shields. There's a name for it. Israel has a name for it. It's called the good neighbor policy. Oh, that's great. They that's use so a Palestinian sick. to like basically, they'll make them walk ahead of them or right. make them go into someone else's home in case it's booby trapped. Yeah. Or so that if there's other Palestinians like with guns in the home, yeah. they won't fire right. because there's a Palestinian they'll force to walk in front of yeah. them because they're the most brave army in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is this insistence and that- moral. The most moral. moral army in the world, right. And the insistence that it's, you know, it's so unfortunate Palestinians, they don't value life. They just value death. Israelis value life, not death. Meanwhile, it's unbelievable that they don't even do anything to forget. We know that they hate Palestinians, but they don't do anything to even free the hostages. I mean, not only do they not free them, they kill their own hostages. Animal Directive. And the Animal Directive which says that you can't let hostages, uh, that you have to kill the hostages, right? So that before you they become, to, before they're taken they become prisoners of war. Yeah. yeah. So that they can't use them as leverage. Yeah. yeah. Like Gilad Shalit. They and don't they've already killed like several hostages from, I mean, so many during right. the they've Nova only Festival. Been, as far as I like understand, the they've death. only been killed by Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't right. think, yeah. There's one more comment about just the, le like the non-existence of the left in Israeli society. Because for the, my entire life, I was just, ever since I became awakened to the situation, the reality of it, it's always been like the left, like we need to embolden the left and the left's going to change Israeli society from within. Not the case at all. I mean, a lot of leftists flee because how the right. fuck can you live in a fascist society like that? It's actually dangerous more so now than ever. But when I was there, there were mass rallies, not only chanting kill the Arabs, but also like death to the leftists and death to the videographers. A slur, right? There's a slur. There's a slur in Israeli. I mean, yeah, leftist is a slur. I met people who called themselves leftists and they said, I want the occupation to be more humane. That's the as far left as I And goes. it's like, what? Um, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then also there's a saying in Israeli society that, that this leftist kid told me. He was like, yeah, there's a saying that leftists are AIDS and Arabs are the common cold. You have to get rid of the left before you get the final solution. I was like, oh, you guys are- Final solution? Oh, wow. Yeah. Where'd they get that word yeah. from? Yeah. Wow. So, whoa. Well, we want to ask you, Rania, shifting gears a little bit, to talk about 
what's happening in the region. So we were just talking about Israel, Palestine, but what is happening in the rest of the Middle East? So like I have, I wrote things around my notes and one of them says not proxies. Um, Axis of resistance is class struggle. Uh, Am I allowed to say that? Well, what um, is the axis of resistance? I have that written twice. Break that down. And yeah. also it it's not the Middle East of 2003. Okay, so okay. what's the axis of resistance? Let's start there. So, the axis of resistance, um, it's a collection of... I, you can't really call them armies because some of them are, as they call them, non-state actors. But it's a collection of fighting forces um, across the region who are committed to protecting the sovereignty and territorial integrity of their countries against imperialism. Um, and the sort of leadership of the axis of resistance because of its support for it is Iran, um, at least, you know, culturally and monetarily um and when it comes to like they, weapons did they uh sponsor your trip here well <laughs> i mean i'm neither yes nor no because i don't want to offend anyone on any side iranian stooge <laughs> but um i mean some people would say some people i've been called irania before oh that's oh, clever wow. that's a I, funny like that. one, that's, right? yeah. I may not agree with them but yeah. they're smart and yeah. funny well that's one of the only that. smart and funny ones sometimes it's really no, stupid it's really, like I, my really favorite stupid. my that's favorite is why don't you go live in iran and i'm like Okay. You don't speak um, Farsi. Go back no, to I mean, your okay. area. I'll Farsi craft. I'm down with visiting Iran, but like, okay. Um, anyway, but no, so Iran is sort of like the the you know leader of it. It's a country, right? It has an army, it's like a uh has a functioning government. And then you have a bunch of forces. Um, obviously, I think the most militarily significant one in terms of its power to fight is Hezbollah in Lebanon. Uh, of course, there's the there's Palestinian factions across Gaza and the West Bank. Hamas or Hamas is the one we hear the most about. But there are actually a lot of other groups and they're all working together right now, um, including left the leftist one, too. But we don't hear about those ones either. But anyways, um, and you so you have Palestinians, you have Hezbollah, which is Lebanese. You have in Iraq, you have various uh, forces inside what's called the Hashd shabi or the Popular Mobilization Forces which were formed after ISIS took large swaths of Iraq back in 2014, and they came together to fight ISIS. And uh, the U.S. identifies a few of them as terrorist organizations, but really all this means is that they're organizations that don't like America and fight America sometimes. Um, and then you've got, more recently, uh, becoming even stronger, the Yemenis. Um, who are fulfilling their obligation, right? Like, yeah, as well yeah, yeah. as every I, I want to say a few things about the other ones, but I do want to just first say some things about the Yemenis because I think the Yemenis have taken the world by storm. Um, it's no, it's fascinating. I think the Yemenis are uh, doing material damage. They're they're causing economic consequences for genocide. This is humanitarian yeah. intervention. What they're doing, they're. They're they're blockading uh, ships uh, from and not any ships. They're not blockading all ships. Initially, they were only uh, obstructing the movement of ships that were that had a destination for this fake country called Israel. Calls itself Israel, um, and so this was this was. And they said repeatedly, this group called Ansar Allah, which runs Yemen right now, that fought a several years long war, some might even call it a genocide, that the U.S. and the U.K. and the Saudis were 
were inflicting on them and they won. Um, they were saying repeatedly their leadership over and over. You can go hear their interviews. They said, as long as this genocide of Gaza continues, as long as humanitarian aid is not allowed in, we will obstruct any ship coming from anywhere that is destined for Israel. And they did that. And they did that um, quite nonviolently. And I would say in the sense of they didn't kill anyone. Uh, but the U.S. got really mad and bombed them for it as a result recently. And it's just crazy how much the U.S. is willing to escalate. Um, and I just want to note, you know, you can't, you shouldn't mess with Yemenis. You saw that video we showed you in the beginning, but there's one video I've watched probably a hundred times. I think it was like a month into the genocide. It's really satisfying. My, my, actually my, my, one of my personal trainers sent it to me. <laughs> one, one of her many. One of my many. Trainers. No, I have two. I have two who I love dearly, but one of them actually sent it to me because he's like super political. Um, and he was like, this video is so cool. And it's like this just Yemeni guy on the street video. And it's a pretty, I think, common attitude of Yemenis. And I, I want, I want that, uh, clip to be shown if possible. Uh, we would say to them, whatever they do, whatever they are among with them, we don't fucking give a shit to them. And we don't care and they would never scare us. They would never stop us. We are coming to from Yemen, from Sana'a to Palestine very soon, inshallah, because we are with our leader, uh, Sayyid Abdul Malik Badratin al-Houthi, and we know that we are in the right side. So no one can stop us. We know our way. We know that we are in the right side. So we're going to come to the White House and we will change it from the White House to the Black House and Dirty House. Just wait for us. And that's it. Preach. Preach. We I should mean, nominate him for president. Yeah. <laughs> you can come. You guys. It can be your White House, sir. But I mean, that is a rare. I mean, I don't think people understand. Like, Yemenis have already sacrificed so much and they're willing to sacrifice more. Like, when people have nothing to lose and you have everything to lose, like, it's on their side, not yours. And I think that that's a microcosm of the struggle across the region right now. Palestinians are fighting. Like, yes, there's a genocide happening and it's horrific. And we should all be disgusted and grieving over it. But we cannot forget the fact that Palestinians are resisting. They are resisting courageously every single day in many different ways. They are resisting. They're so brave. They're so creative. I mean, it's and it's across Palestine and even outside of Palestine. People are resisting in so many different ways and we can't erase that. And we need to let that inspire us, inspire us right now because people are resisting a genocide. If there were fighters and writers and protesters inside any death camp during the Holocaust, inside the Warsaw Ghetto, we would be remembering them today as the bravest, yeah, most there courageous, were, and, there were and there were, as the bravest, most courageous people in the world. And there is this double standard, right? where Israelis and their supporters get to go on the internet and they get to celebrate doing genocide. They get to take photos and videos and put them online and laugh and joke and plan more and nothing happens. There's no consequence. But then an Arab writes that they're prideful of their resistance online. It gets taken down. They lose their job. Like they even try to take away the right of people to celebrate their resistance. And our resistance here is all the protests that are happening. And they're so important. But 
which were painted as pro-Hamas yeah. celebrations at the beginning. Terrorists, pro-terrorists, yeah. protest. pro-terrorists, protest. Well, should we bring on, let's see. Well, bring I think on the, it's the a good, yeah, I think it's a good segue to bring on Claudia de la Cruz because my look, president. I, I think this is all, yeah. My president. Because really where all of this is leading us is the presidential election. You guys excited? Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> I feel like we've lived through it before, yeah. but um, it feels really new and exciting. So we're going to bring up to the stage a... Hello! Claudia de la Cruz, who is an organizer, a theologian, a mother, and the Party for Socialism and Liberation's presidential candidate for 2024. Claudia, before we ask you about your presidential campaign, how did you become the politicized person sitting in front of us today? You like that story, Katie? I do, yeah. I know <laughs> you do. Well, it, it, first of all, I'm so excited. I've been excited for, for a month about this, this event. Um, I admire, respect, and love y'all. So thank you all so much for having me. Impeccable taste. <laughs> I have great taste. You'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> But in terms of like my political development, it, it's interesting. I was politicized through faith. I came to, to a liberation theo theology, uh, faith community that was very interesting because most of the people in that space were atheists and socialists um, from Latin America and the Caribbean primarily. And um, some of them were exiles from El Salvador because of the 10-year war in El Salvador. Some of them were here creating collectives um, to fight the political struggle in Venezuela with the Valerian circles. And so a lot of my politicization became uh, part of their intention. They were very intentionally and strategically shaping me politically. And um, my parents are working class. My mom worked in the New York Department of Education for over 30 years in um, special education. So she woke up every day at 5 a.m. to go, you know, tend to, to young kids, uh, primary school. And my dad was a construction worker. And he was very clear about, I mean, he, he, he wasn't political. He's still not very political in terms of his activity. But he was very conscious of the fact that he was part of the class, the working class. Um, he named him, say, he would often say, soy obrero, which means I'm a laborer. Um, and would often show his hands, which means that if you, if you do construction, if you've been around people who do construction, you see the crack in their hands. Um, they often suffer from knee pains and back pain. And so it was very constant where he would share, I do this work with my hands, but you could work with your head. So don't miss the opportunity to go to school. Um, so, you know, education was key in my house. Although my parents were in part of a political organization, they were really class conscious, I would want to say, and they very proudly Caribbean. And so they were able to teach me that when you talk about America, you talk about a continent and not a country. And I guess the foundations for me to be able to absorb the politics came from my household from a working class household. My grandmother worked the rice fields and the sugar fields along with Haitians. Um, she survived the, the dictatorship of Trujillo in the Dominican Republic. So one thing she always said is, the United States isn't a friendly, isn't a friendly country 
to the Caribbean because they, if they supported Trujillo, if that was their man, that means that they're not that good. And so she didn't have a concept of imperialism, but then she did because she survived the dictatorship that the, that the U.S. backed. And so that was my process uh, of becoming political. It was from working class family and also in a space where people were class conscious and also fought for a vision of a socialist society. Mm -hmm. When I look at the presidential elections, it's, it's, I've never felt like more detached from giving a flying fuck about <laughs> these two candidates. I mean, there is no lesser evil application here because there's no worse crime than genocide. Joe Biden's genocide, Joe, right? He's going to cement himself as that. I mean, there's the possibility that he'll win because horrible people with horrible policies are always rewarded mm -hmm. in a messed up system. But it also kind of brings me to the question, like, why participate? Why even participate? Because it is such a farce. It's such a sham. Every year, it's billions of dollars more. It's who has the most money. It's who has the most eyeballs and who can do the most atrocious things. Why are you even running? That's a great question. And I think if we see every election year, they will tell us this election is the election of our times. We cannot afford to lose to the far right. But then you get Bidens, the Bidens of the world, because it's a project. Biden is part of a project, which is a U.S. imperialist capitalist project. He is a representative of the project, but so was Obama. And so was the Democrat before him. And so we're constant. And so is Trump. Trump is also a representative of that project, even if he presents himself as the one, you know, I was hearing his speech from December, I think it was in Baltimore, where he was saying, I am the protector of you. They're attacking me because they want to get to you, you know? Um, and he speaks in that way that kind of triggers everything that we have been historically taught. The racism, the xenophobia, like everything that America has been instructed to believe, he taps into that. But he is part of a project and he's also the result of the deficiencies of the Democratic Party. Because if the Democratic Party were to actually do what it usually promises people, then he might not have such of a chance. Right. And so I think it's important in this particular moment in history, because this is like the elections itself is not the most important election of our lifetime. Let's just start there. But it is a very important historical moment. <laughs> and it's happening in a historical context that we should be paying attention to. They often refer to 2016 and they will refer to 2020 because they have no vision of the future and they have no connection with the working class. We're living in a post-global health pandemic era and COVID still rampant. We're, we're dealing with an economic crisis that is deep for working class people. I mean, billionaires have become trillionaires, but that's another, that's another story. We're dealing with people losing social programs and whatever has kept us afloat. We're dealing with, you know, at post-George Floyd rebellions. We're dealing with young Speaking people. Speaking of which, where's Kamala been? Listen, <laughs> haven't seen her in I'm like sorry, a year. She's getting at the root. No, she's getting at the you root sources. Yeah, of our, cop. 
She's getting at the root sources of our immigration she's, she's just, policies. She's the one. She's poking. She's right the now. one controlling the weekend at Bernie's corpse. Okay. I have no idea who they're talking about. I don't. I don't know. Your girl Kamala. My girl Kamala. My girl Kamala. So I think you know it's not the most important election, but it is a very significant and different historical moment, and it's a moment of awakening for the majority of people, not only working class people in the United States, but globally, because the U.S. empire is in decline. U.S. dominance is in decline. And when you see, you know, the people in Gaza resisting, like they've resisted for 75 years plus. But when you see the level of resilience and strength, you're going to back up? You can't. You can't because it's a matter of life and death. And we need to assume the reality of the United States with that same type of bravery. The Democratic Party is not going to defend the working class with that bravery. They're not going to do it. And so for us as socialists, it's really important to intervene precisely to lift that reality and to call things for what they are. They're a sham. But beyond that is like massive, it's a collective insanity we live in. <laughs> and the more that we pay attention and legitimize the Democratic Party, the more we create, like we participate in that insanity and give them the legitimacy that they shouldn't have because they want our vote. But we need to be able to build instruments of working class people that are for and by the working class because the Democrats and the Republicans listen to Wall Street, corporations and bankers. They do not have our will at heart and they will never have our will. So it's not about Biden. It's not about Trump. It's about the U.S. imperialist and capitalist projects. That's what they defend. Mm -hmm. You know, I I just want to say, first of all, I don't think I've ever heard your like upbringing story. And I really love it. It makes me I already love you so much. It makes me love you more as like a person. Um, but I remember I remember distinctly one time you and I bonded over the fact that I was OK. So like, there's a big power cuts like Lebanon has crazy power cuts. There's about four hours of like or six hours if you're lucky of state electricity a day, and then everybody has to rely on generators. And I was explaining, well, all of us were hanging out at one point, and I was explaining to someone my intricate system of dealing with power cuts. And Claudia comes up and she's like, girl, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm like, really? She's like, um, yeah, Dominican Republic. She's like, it's third world. It's like normal in the third world. Like we know power cuts. And I just like laugh because I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like across. And also in America, you just had power cuts, by the way, yeah. Yeah. after a storm for yeah, like a week. Are, are you going to seize the power companies? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the top 100. <laughs> That's how we're going to solve our problems. And we're not, again, we're like, that's a start. That's a start. I think it's important. And going back to the question of why, why run? We need to have the rad, like the radical imagination of what we can do with what we produce as working class people. Those trillions of dollars that are being held hostage and these billionaires are buying their fifth, sixth yacht and like doing all sorts of shit. Our people produce that money. Why aren't the Amazon workers running, running that company? They should be running it because they produce all that wealth. Why is the UAW trying to negotiate their own exploitation with people that are making $30 million a year? Like, we should seize that because seizing it only means taking back what we produce and being able to provide what we can provide because this country does not lack abundance. 
We have a lot of abundance. We just don't have access or power over it. Well, I want to I want to just really quickly ask you about the fact that when we talk about the United States, it is seen as a very wealthy country because it is like you mentioned abundance, but it's also not a democracy, right? Like if it was, you would be on a debate stage with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, whatever other clown they want to put forward, but you're not going to be because it's not a democracy. But also not not like I think America has one of the the lowest maybe voting rate of a developed country. Um, so there's a lot of people who don't even bother voting. I mean, it's also crazy. We get one day to vote. It's not even at night, a weekend or at night, yeah, yeah. at night, they like it's during off. the work day. Like, good luck. I don't yeah. know. Good luck having time to like yeah. go vote when you have a job. Um, but on top of that, there's so many people who don't vote and there's so many parts of the country that I'm always stunned by in the U S cause like. I'm just like, wow, you know, everybody always talks about third world this, third world that, you know, but there's parts of this country where people are living in situations where they don't have like proper sewage systems outside their homes. And it's, it's shocking. Poisoned water. Yeah. Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Like we we think think about homelessness. We usually think about people who like live in the streets, but think about the people that live literally four to five people in a one bedroom apartment or people that are actually and this is happening in this country. People who are actually renting beds, like they work and they rent beds to be able to sleep on when the other person's out to work. Like this is happening in the wealthiest country in the world. And these two party <laughs> system does not give a flying fuck about working class people. In fact, when they go and they do like their you know, debates, they don't talk about working class issues. They don't talk about solving those problems. They're usually pointing fingers at each other and talking about this democracy that doesn't exist for the majority of people in this country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at Richie Torres. He's like, oh uh, I mean, he's a. Why are you tra- you triggering me, Abby? <laughs> Shit. I mean, Richie Torres, is, for most people don't know, he's a New insane. York congressman. He's a New York congressman. It's the poorest. From the Bronx. From the, the poorest, poorest district, district in, in the, the country. country. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm from. And all he does is talk about Israel. Yeah. And pink wash. Is literally he his constituents, his constituents in the Bronx, like, really care. His constituents in the Bronx, from the Bronx, South Bronx, the poorest congressional district in the United States, they don't know who Richie Torres is. APAC knows. Yeah, right. No, exactly. Don't get me started. Exactly. I want, hey, go off. I mean, look, ever since I became politically active, I've always felt like the Democratic Party has had a gun to my head saying, your abortion rights. That's right. Your abortion rights, unless you vote. We're going to codify them. And so it's like, wait, I mean, yeah, no, it's so crazy. Like looking back on it, it's like, wait, what? What is the blackmail now? What's the emotional blackmail? Because at the that Supreme point, maybe, oh, hey, maybe the Republicans will commit. Je- oh, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. check done. <laughs> but no, I think that what Abby's getting just at vote is, your way out of it, well, right? There, there's a vote blue, no matter who. vote blue, no matter yeah. who. Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, when we're looking at the presidential race, and it's it, it it's shocking to see like the rehash, like Joe Biden. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's a walking, talking corpse being mm-hmm. puppeted by God knows who. Yeah. He's not Trump. even that walking. He's not even that <laughs> he walking. He keeps tripping. Well, they had like to like modify the, sto- the stairs on Air Force he's One. He's like a nodding, a nodding corpse. Yeah. <laughs> and Donald Trump, I mean, who's. <laughs> Sorry. 
who was like a loaf, some kind of meatloaf. Should we show some yeah, videos? Yeah, let's show some video. Let's show, let's show. Should, should we show a video or do you? Do you no, do let's you do it. Okay, Abby's triggered. We need to show videos. We're all triggered. Yeah. We're all triggered. Let's, all right, let's, 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 let's hear see. from Donald Trump and hear his platform. Oh, do you want to hear Trump first or Trump first? Biden? Well, wait, first? hold on. Let's. I think we have because queued up. I think we should. Okay. We have Biden. Yeah. This is this, this is, is this is our this is, this is this our opposition for is, the for the vote blue no matter who yeah. right, people. Let's see, let's see what he's got. <laughs> this is the guy standing between Trump and democracy. Apparently, let's take a look at, at what he had to say about uh, Palestine. Oh God. Controlled Gaza Health Ministry says Israeli forces have killed over 6,000 Palestinians, including 2,700 children. You've previously asked Netanyahu to minimize civilian casualties. Do these numbers say to you that he is ignoring that message? What they say to me is I have no notion that the Palestinians are telling the truth about how many people are killed. I'm sure innocents have been killed. And that's the price of waging a war. I think we should be incredibly careful. I think not we, the Israelis, should be incredibly careful to be sure that they're focusing on going after the folks that are propagating this war against Israel. And, uh, And it's against their interests when that doesn't happen. Done. But I have no confidence in the number that the Palestinians are using. First of all, how how insulting is it that the journalist was like, um, the Hamas-run health yeah, ministry says I have no that. notion. Does he ever the talk about the Likud-run anything? Like, yeah, Likudnik-run anything. Yeah. Remember yeah. when Joe Biden said to a guy um, who questioned him, I think it was like Shut about immigration face. or something. No, he was like, you're Shut sedentary. Up, oh, sedentary. Yeah, yeah that he was, was like, one. He was, he was like, like see fat? the problem? Listen, fat. Listen, fats. You're sedentary. That's yeah. the problem. He's like, I want you want to get and up And then he here. challenged yeah. him to like a push-up contest. Yeah, yeah. He's just so like, ridiculous. what on earth Joe is Biden? Yeah, then he yeah. called some other one a stone-faced pony. See, that, that? that solidified my vote for him. Corn I was like, pop? yeah, dude. Does anyone here remember Corn Pop? Bad dude. Yeah. Very bad dude. Very bad dude. Corn yeah. Pop was a very bad dude. But well, so that's, He called him Esther Williams. I mean, that gives you a sense <laughs> of how in touch the guy is. Look, this is two months into this that Joe Biden still was saying he saw the 40 beheaded babies, right? I mean, when he said that, I literally thought Netanyahu rendered like an AI image because I was but like oh like I it's, it's not just that he said that once and when he said that this is very important he said that against the advice of his staff who told him we don't think that's necessarily true okay fine he said it then he said it a second time after that and then he said it a third time so this is a guy remember I thought Trump was the one who's supposed to be the liar the fake news guy but Biden is allowed to lie out of his ass and no one will call him on it ever and if you do you're helping Trump but he said he was a Zionist though that he is honest about. He said That's it was not a lie. He didn't say it just now. No, he said, he it a bunch said of times. it a whole bunch of times, and he said it in 1983. Yeah. And if Israel so didn't exist, he we'd have said to create it, one. He meant it. Yeah. And I think we need to believe these people when they tell us who they are. Like this is the most toxic relationship we've ever been in, and we continue to be in it. Like, really? Okay. It's, it is. <laughs> it's like being with someone. It's like being with someone, and the women in the room know what I'm talking about. It's like being with someone who you know sucks. But but he tells you, oh, but you don't like everyone else sucks. Right. More than me. what are your other yeah. options? Like, what are your options to me? I'm broke. Yeah. I don't do anything for you. No one's gonna love you. I don't know how to fix anything. No one's gonna love you like I love you. And no one's gonna love you like I love you. Like I love you. And you're like, oh it's like at least I won't grab you by the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> However, I will say this. I will say this. So I, I also don't want to downplay that 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 Trump does pose a different kind of, of danger. And I think we have a couple of clips yeah, and I want to yeah. hear your response because that's what we're going to hear throughout this election. Yeah. It's okay. Jiden, Bob Jiden. Jiden. <laughs> that's his new name, by the way. Jiden. No, I like that for him. I like that for him. Biden. Okay. They're here. We're going to hear, oh, Biden. Yeah. Okay. So he committed a genocide. 
Yes. However, this guy will commit more. Yeah. And so I, 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 that's what we're going to hear. I want to hear your response to that. But first, let's play a couple clips of yeah, let's, Trump. Um, let's, hear, let's hear Trump's yeah. Let's hear Trump's plan for the country. America, if you want to abolish Israel, if you sympathize with jihadists. I like the music. We don't want you in our country. Very sad. And you're not going to be getting into our country. I will cancel the student visas. Hamas, All the Hamas students. The college campuses are being taken over. And all of the resident aliens who joined in the pro-jihadist protests this month, nobody's... At least he's entertaining. I'll give him that. In 2025, we will find you and we will deport you. And I mean, I'm first, sold. One of the things we're going to do on one of my platforms that people don't pick up as much as they should, though, but we're going to build an iron dome yes. over our country because we want to protect ourselves. We give another country. We give iron domes to other countries, but... I had no wars. I'm the only president in 72 years. I didn't have any wars. I don't know what to say to you. Oh, yeah, oh, wait, that. That. So, so yeah. I think, okay, a couple of things here. Like, I think, obviously, the, you know, that's real. Like, we laugh at it. But when Trump, when Trump is threatening to deport people, not to say Biden isn't, because he's continued deportation, oh, yeah, all the stuff that Democrats do but cry about when Republicans are president. But Trump is is threatening to ruin people's lives. Um, so I'm curious, like, what is your response to that, that thing that's going to be used, the gun to our head that Abby was talking right, about? Like you're helping Trump if yeah. you're taking away a vote from Biden. It's fear mongering, right? Like the Democrats don't earn votes. If you earn a vote, it's because you actually do something to earn it. What they do is fear monger and bribe people and bully people into voting for them. And they put this, um, this threat out, which is a real threat. The threat of fascism, the threat of the far right is real, but it's not new. It's not a new threat. And it's something that they utilize constantly every four years to say vote blue no matter who. And to what extent do we allow that to continue to be the narrative? To what extent to what do we continue to you know, allow ourselves to be used, abused by this two-party yes, system yeah. that does not do anything for us. So when they are talking about, you know, when they now is like, yeah, it's a new, the whole democracy, the defense of democracy. Um, and they'll utilize, you know, January 6th and what happened and all the horrible things that Trump did. And the reality is that another term of Trump would be horrific because that means that they would be they would be coming back more organized to do even more harm than what they did but do you really want to follow biden to that fight like really <laughs> like following biden will only bring back the far right and so i think we need to start thinking beyond this two-party system that has been offered to us that has been imposed on us by a ruling class that does not care about our concrete conditions as working class people. They don't offer solutions because Biden could have, in the two first years of his term, codify Roe versus Wade. He could have legalized abortion nationally. And he didn't do that. You mean he could have done the same thing that he sidestepped Congress to send Israel all these weapons? Oh, right, yeah. like, right, thanks for right. us. I mean, you have a president that bypasses Congress. To yeah, but to do really, but to, to do to, really to, good things, to bomb, like kill people, right? To kill people, but does not think of doing 
executive orders to actually support working class people's needs in this country, who has billions of dollars to throw to, to a war that, first of all, they completely discourage negotiations from, which is the proxy war in Ukraine, because they discourage it and blocked it because it's in their interest to be able to advance NATO. Right. And weaken Russia. <laughs> and weaken yeah. Russia. And they did that. And that's fine. They support economically like we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars towards Israel that did not start October 8th. We're talking about billions, almost $4 billion a year. New York State is $300 million that goes straight to, to Israel where people here are in deep economic crises that have to actually make very, very horrible decisions, whether they eat or they pay for child care. Like you have 2 million children, babies who lost access to health care in this country. And so if we're not infuriated in the lack of decency, the lack of humanity of the Democratic Party, and we don't build a third option, then we're playing ourselves. We're totally playing ourselves. And we, we cannot continue to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. The, the Republicans and the Demo Democrats are not going to help us. We need to build our own instruments. It, absolutely. It inspires me so much to see Gen Z oh. leading this struggle, like leading the fight against genocide, against apartheid, being out in the streets, and they do not watch corporate media. That's right. right? It's totally obsolete, the political establishment. We know, that, we know that the Biden administration, whatever the outcome is, they will blame the left yes. mm -hmm. and they'll blame the youth. Um, but I think that just shows that it is changing. That's right. And that people are not going to buy into this anymore. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be gaslit. Um, and we are going to fight for a revolution in this country. And ultimately, like electoral, like electoral politics have never been the force of change. They have never. Everything we've gotten, we've gotten because people have organized movements to receive that. Right. So we do the work and they get the credit. Right. <laughs> like we need to be able to build a force of working class people in this country that not only build the solutions, but have power and control over what we produce and over our future. It's also so funny because you get all. Sorry, I was. Oh, talking I love it. I don't want to put my mic down. Oh, are we all doing that? Yeah. Okay. You, um, <laughs> it's so funny because all these people try to bully vote, vote shame people. And it's like, if you actually cared about getting Biden in, why not pressure that one person? Like when it comes to, to Palestine, why not pressure him to stop the genocide as opposed to this amorphous group of people you have no control over? It's almost as if Biden has no agency. Yeah. And he has all the agency. Right, of course. Like yeah. a, a phone call from the White House to Netanyahu yeah. stop would everything. have stopped it. Like if, Ronald Reagan. No, and, and, and Biden needs to be punished. Like, he's he a war criminal. He's a war criminal. And he's decided to be a war criminal over and over and over. He's decided to be a war criminal over 20,000 times. Yep. That's how many Every times. Bomb. I, asked, I guess he is more experienced than Trump. Though, listen, yeah, that. yeah. Well, look, can we just <laughs> nip that in the bud that Trump's like, oh, I never started a war. Yeah, that's because he Ronda didn't retaliate against your ass. That's right. And that's because Venezuela <laughs> didn't retaliate against right. your ass. And do you want to go over the draconian sanctions regime? And do you want to go over the drone strikes Which that you Biden increased 400%? Removed, of course, but yeah. So yeah, please, let's Biden no. added more sanctions on Trump Cuba. is not more, quote unquote, anti-war. He they would be giving the exact same carte blanche to Israel that's that right. Biden is doing. Although he's mad at, he's mad at Netanyahu because Netanyahu didn't like go along the Soleimani plan with him. 
Wait, Biden's mad at Biden's, Netanyahu? No, no, no. Trump is Trump. mad at Netanyahu. Oh. He's like, he's very weak. He's very weak. Because Well, Netanyahu, to- what, he stays in Jared Kushner's apartment when he comes here. I mean, that's how close these people By are By the way, And totally brings his laundry with him. Off topic, but you guys, the Netanyahu's, Netanyahu and his wife, they schlepped their laundry from Israel to the White House when they come to the United States. It's not even a, I mean, it sounds like a punchline about like your dirty laundry. They literally bring their dirty laundry with them in bags. Maybe it comes out smelling like extra special if you get it done at the White House. It's, that's that, just, that, that, that that's Yemeni like, guy that, is going to turn into the dirty house. That's an anti-Semitic <laughs> hate crime right there that he does that. But Why he, would you do that? You know, I got to say, though, like, I, I know that we make fun of Biden for being half asleep. And a lot of the time he times he does seem like it and he's like falling. But I do think it's important to recognize that you have said you said he has repeatedly said he's a Zionist. Uh, he says if there wasn't an Israel, we'd have to create an Israel. He means that. He's an ardent American imperialist. He supported, he didn't support, but he basically supported segregation yeah, back in the day. He oh, he's a segregationist. Anti-abortion. And also, like, the he other thing. He also said that busing was, um, he said that integration was like a rejection. No, he said that busing was a rejection of black is beautiful. Wait, what? I'm not kidding. He said that like busing is bad because it was integrating schools and he was kind of trying to take the assimilation, the anti-assimilation as black is beautiful. Like he literally pretended that. Leave black alone. Let it stay together. Like, is that what he, I don't even understand. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretending to be. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's crazy. Everyone in their spots. You don't need to mix and mingle. It's like literally the worst (laughs) possible person being manning the ship right now during this, because even I I saw a Times of Israel article that said, you know, the former prime minister, Menachem Begin, and he was. He was even like Joe Biden. He was like this rogue senator got up and actually said like Israel should essentially in so many words, check out the article. I shit you not. Joe Biden like was the rogue voice being like, no, no, no. Like women and children are are totally legitimate targets like for Israel. And and, and even Benjamin Baker was like, no, 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 that's going too far. Right. But so, you know, you I know mean, what the, the crazy, it's piece, crazy. Yeah. The crazy piece is also that the Democrats are not doing anything to kind of to like even to stop him one and look at Bernie. or to like hide him Bernie. out and say, look, you're not going to run this term because oh, you're just bad. Right. You're bad for business. Yeah. Like they're not they're not doing that. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Yeah, they're doing the opposite. And so I think we need to pay a lot of attention. Like they rather have genocide Joe confront mm-hmm. the far right, right, which means literally my grandmother would say in Spanish, and I'll translate it, tú estás haciendo la cama para que el otro se acueste. Like, you're basically setting up the bed for the other one to come sleep on it, which is yeah. often what they do. Like, making it easy for the far right to come and do their term. And so I think we need to be really aware of how they've been playing us for as long as they He's been. losing. But it's going to be your fault and Jill Stein's fault, right? right? It's yeah, not going to yeah, be that yeah, half Susan the country. Saran, don't and forget Cor- Susan Sarandon. And Cornell West. And Cornell West. And us for doing the show. That's and right. And Today Watchers. And RT, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, what about the other half of the country that are eligible to vote that do right. not participate. It's the non-voter population. There's no incentive at all to reach That's people right. who have completely disassociated yeah. themselves from I mean, the and process. People, and people are hopeless around the electoral process because the electoral process has proven to, been, to be a sham with it right. in the capitalist system. And so more than offering people elections, we need to offer people building a movement. Like being participate, like participating actively in building what we need. How is it that the in the so-called democracy, we have two parties, two parties that control everything. Ballot access is shit. Like 
getting petition, getting to petitioning, getting signatures. And I'm saying as someone who is in the process of doing that, it is meant for you not to have a third party option. Are we okay with that? When you talk about Venezuela as supposedly an authoritarian like government and these people run even 21 different people yeah. for the presidential campaign. And it's one of the most rarest processes for election. They talk about Cuba. Come on, man. Like you had yeah. two parties, basically two head, like two heads of one body. Yep. Well, they always like are, are silencing uh, and ignoring the third parties. But what's so fascinating is that even within the two party system, the Republicans are much more Democratic than the Democrats are. Because say what you will about RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson and Jenk Uger, apparently. But like they <laughs> running, but they the Republicans at least talk breaking news. Uh, the Republicans at least have like talk about the other people and they have debates. We haven't heard anything from the other candidates and the media totally ignores them. I mean, the media had like DeSantis on all the time. They had on people who were polling, Ramaswamy, yeah, who was polling, like, polling yeah. lower than Williamson. And cut out, you yeah. just it was just amazing how they didn't even have any uh no one was shaming the media because the media controls the narrative. So no one even realized. Yeah, just making them obsolete. Right. Them. They render them yeah. just completely obsolete. Irrelevant, and that, yeah. that's what the media does. That's what the corporate media does. They it will just completely ignore you. You know, Israel right. will kill you're not you. Getting, you're not getting. The U.S. Uh, media will just ignore you. you. I mean, how many and, and, CNN right, requests for interviews are you getting each day? Well, she couldn't do one tonight <laughs> because of us. <laughs> That's why she I didn't want to book you. She had to decline tonight. She had to decline CNN tonight to be here. Yeah. But you know, I know, I know we're getting to like where we want to wrap up here. Mm -hmm. So I think what, what I'm hearing from, from Claudia is we need to like this is our form of resistance here. Yeah. Is building something different, building something that serves the working class, that serves the people of this country. And I think the the theme maybe of tonight is the importance of resistance and international solidarity and international solidarity. And so I think there is a clip we want to play because uh, uh, the proceeds from tickets to come here. And I think there's something going around for if you want to donate more uh, are going to We Are Not Numbers. So if you're not familiar with We Are Not Numbers, it is an organization based in Gaza that was co-founded by Rifat El-Arir, who is a Palestinian writer and intellectual that was assassinated. Professor, professor, poet, translator. Poet, translator, who was- Father of six. Father of six, who was assassinated by Israel last month in December uh, after spending the months prior to that basically running for his life and his family's life from shelter to shelter. For a long period of time, he refused to leave Gaza City when the Israelis were demanding everybody leave. He appeared many times and contributed a great deal to the Electronic Intifada, uh, which I hope everybody here is familiar with. If you're not, please check it out. It's an incredible outlet and the people there are wonderful. Um, and he was staying in a shelter uh, with his family and he received a call from the Israelis in early December to that, uh, threatening him, saying, we are going to kill you. And so he didn't want to like everybody in the shelter, like hundreds, I think thousands of people maybe were sheltering here. So he left to protect the people in the shelter and went to hide at his sister's house, um, thinking that he'd be safe there. And the Israelis somehow managed to find him or know he was there. And they bombed the house and killed his sister and her four children and him. And, and this surgical also, strike, yeah, like his yeah. apartment floor the apartment yeah. was bombed, but the building was not bombed. Yeah. They, they the targeted him for assassination and they succeeded. And I mean, 
You know, when you think about what the people in Gaza are enduring, they are enduring the worst situation imaginable to humanity. They are on the run constantly in the unsafest conditions imaginable. And then they go to places where they're told are the safe zones. And And they still get bombed. They still get bombed. They go to the safe zones, which are really just death zones, evacuation zones, as they call them. And there's there's just disease spreading. There's no water. There's no food. Uh, there's a recent statistic released that four out of the pot five people in the world that are starving right now mm-hmm. are actually in Gaza. Um, so this this these are the last couple months of this guy's life. Uh, but despite all of the horrors he endured, I think we need to remember some of his last words. Um, and so we want to play a clip of Rifat, who appeared regularly on Electronic Intifada's live streams which you should also check out because they do regular live streams uh, to discussing what's happening in Gaza and the broader region. So can we play that clip, please? And this is Ali Abu Nima from know, Electronic Intifada. As, as you have said, as Khalil said, he doesn't know how to face his children. I don't know how to face you and to face people in Gaza. And I don't know how to say to you that I'm sorry we failed. I think, thank you, Ale. I, I think we didn't fail. We did not. And that's when it, when, when it comes to all comes to end. No, we didn't. We didn't submit to their barbarity. We didn't submit to their brutality. And even when Gaza, this attack came when Gaza was in its weakest time possible. Look at what they did the, to the most invincible army in the area, the fourth strongest army in the world. The humiliation. The humiliation. But it's not only about that. This is not where we get our pride. We get our pride from staying principled at a time when everybody is not. So... It makes me think of what you were saying about the fact that look at look at what people in Gaza are basically enduring and still fighting. I mean, his last days, this is what he was saying. Mm-hmm. So. I think if there's something that Gaza has done as a people is rehumanize us. Like Gaza has deeply rehumanized. Like, and, and I don't want us to take that lightly. We live in a system where they tell us this is happening far away. This has no connection to your life. It has, you don't need to care. And you've seen people by the millions all across the globe demanding that this war in Gaza stops. That is rehumanizing people. And not only is it rehumanizing people, it's re-energizing movements. And that's what I mean. We cannot experience Gaza not in the way that Gaza has, obviously, the people in Gaza experience it, but we cannot see what we've seen and unsee it. Like, we've seen it. We've witnessed it. And we cannot be left unchanged by that. We cannot. The people who have been killed, the over 20,000 souls that have become martyrs, that glory to the martyrs, but glory means being able to honor their lives. It means changing the system that has allowed for Gaza to be in the situation in which Gaza is. It means stopping the U.S. war machine. 
And there is no one that could play a much more historic role than the people living in the belly of the beast. Mm -hmm. No one else. We are responsible for stopping that beast. We are the ones that need to create that den to allow people in Palestine to breathe, to allow people in Cuba to breathe, to allow people in Venezuela to leave, and for our own breathing. Like this country pumped in Biden administration, pumped more money into the military, pumped more money into police departments. 2023 saw many more killings of black and brown youth on the streets, even though we might not hear it. Precisely because we live, we too live in an open air prison. We too live in an open, we know about displacement. We know about surveillance. We know about lack of access to health care. While our money, our tax money pays for the colonizing body force in Palestine to have health care, to have housing that doesn't belong to them. And so it's a sense of morality, but it's also a sense of connection. Like our lives are connected to the lives of the millions of people in Palestine, those who have been killed and those who are still alive, and we are responsible for them. And their deaths cannot go in vain. And every baby, every child, every person who has died, they had dreams, they had hopes, families extinguished. We have to keep fighting for them. That's right. Their deaths cannot go in vain. And I wanted to read, um, I wanted to read something that Rafat had DM'd me when I, one of the last times that we spoke over Twitter, I said, is there anything we can do from over here? And he said, thank you for offering more pressure on the media, more coverage, more Palestinian voices, more protests. Hopefully Israel is curbed ASAP. So that's you what know, we ought to do. I think the takeaway from this entire evening and the very moving words you just spoke are what Abby just said. Do not let these deaths, these murders, right. these people be in vain. This is like a sacrifice that will change the world forever. It has. And it has already, and we cannot allow it to happen and nothing change. Something, so much has to change. So we have so much to learn from people like Rifat. Um, and, you know, we also have to remember the U.S. is escalating this. They're daring Iran. They're daring the Yemenis. They're daring Hezbollah. And there might come a time when a bigger war breaks out and they Probably. will use all the same tropes and they will let Israel do all the same things and they will start doing the same things. We have to be ready for that. That's right. We yeah, have to I, be I don't want to live in a world where this is no. allowed. Right. This is not the world that I accept. Mm-hmm. So if unless we fight to change this, this is not the world that that I'm to be comfortable living and, in. And our fight is in different fronts. Like all of us occupy space. People have platforms. People have communities. People have like we have been told for many years that giving our votes away is the only political act that we have. And that is bullshit. Nothing can be further from the truth. Nothing can be further from the truth. We have to reclaim the history of struggle that we have in this country that has been intentionally robbed from our consciousness. We need to reclaim it. Yesterday, people were having all sorts of debates about Martin Luther King. When Martin Luther King was shot, he was, he was 
gearing more towards socialism and talking about the economic system, talking against, against militarism, talking about white supremacy as all connected. He was talking against the, the, the war in Vietnam very clearly. And he also had words to say about Israel and its 1967 expansion. He had words yeah, to say Amy about Schumer. that. He was planning an occupation, a full-scale yeah. like Occupy Wall Street prototype. And he died at a labor protest. And he, and he died. Assassinated. He, he was assassinated in 1968 yeah, because he touched what the United States does not like people touching, which is the economics. Once you touch the economics and you start talking about economic power, they will shoot you. I mean, look at Yemen. <laughs> look at Yemen. Yemen yeah. messed with their economy a little bit. Just a little and bit. And they were like, drop we're the bombs. Bomb. Yeah. Drop the bombs. So we, we killed when people hammer, for not... We, it's just insane. Like, I think a lot of people probably think that people that the like Yemen killed people because of the way they talk about targeting. Zero. They've killed zero people. And those are the people we've responded to the militarily. US, the U.S. has killed at least 15 Yemenis in their bombings, both on their ships and in their. But you know what? Land. They can't they can't kill solidarity because Yemen was like, you know what? Y'all want to do this? Let's go. They were like, bring, up they were like, bring the whole team. We got you. <laughs> That's World solidarity. War World War Three. Yeah. Back Bring to that on. song. Back to that song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Claudia, it's it's so. <laughs> Your words are so poetic and also they ring so true, especially when we see like labor unions and all, like all of the union efforts that have really ramped up, all of the labor struggles and all of the linking together of that international solidarity yeah. with Palestinians, right. understanding the link from Israeli forces training our police forces at home, yeah. the over-policing of our neighborhoods. And so it's that international solidarity. It's that international understanding. And it's the struggle. It's the struggle that we have to connect all of our struggles, right? And we have to coalesce. We have to put those bridges down and connect with each other. Because again, like this is not, humanity is dead if we allow this to can, be the new normal. I, and if we allow mass murder and mass death to be normalized. I just wanna, I just and it wanna, already has been. I just want to say, yeah, so much horrible shit has happened. But, but in a weird way, oh, did I say, oh, I'm not allowed to say shit. No, okay. no, no. I mean, we've I'm, said I'm, a whole yeah, bunch of I'm things, like, Katie. That's your whole, like a whole bunch of things. That's, that's your line. Line. That's your line. Well, that's was, where you draw the line? I was going to say. No, no, no. I wasn't I saying never, that. I was like, but I was waiting for her. Well, her, I've, I've just never felt in a weird way, as messed up as the world is right now, I've never felt more hopeful. This moment is right for revolution. Because let me tell you something. If you leave this place, leave with this. Karina says this all the time. That's the that's the hopeful person she is. She that's says her running me. Yeah, that's running me. That's my that's my 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 heart. She says revolution always seems impossible, but when it's done, it was inevitable. Revolution always seems impossible. You talk to the people who made the revolution of 1804. You can't talk to them. But you go back in history seance, to 1804 in Haiti. I'm sure those folks didn't think that was possible. And they made it happen. You think about Cuba. They probably thought that, oh, my God, like, are we going to be able to do this? And they did it. And you probably never thought that October 7th would happen. But it did. And it's changed us forever. And so revolution is impossible. But when it's done, it was what? Inevitable. Inevitable. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. 
If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time. Bye.